live for episode 15 of First Strike. It's been 15 weeks. That's been, that's been pretty awesome. It's been an awesome 15 weeks. And uh, first, got to mention that this show is sponsored by the good folks at FaceToFaceGames.com, the best place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. I'm joined today by Robert Lombardi. How's it going? He's somewhere. He's actually at his office. <laughs> yeah, but st- still at work. Might still be here after the cast as well. <laughs> That's good, though. <laughs> <laughs> putting in the hours, putting in the hours. We also got the smoothest voice. I have to, like, put him at number one in something because I always seem to not, like, give him the props that he deserves. But the smoothest voice of the First Strike team, of the entire First Strike team, Brian Gottlieb. How's it going, that's, Brian? That's such a weird thing to give me credit for. <laughs> I don't even know how I feel about it. I'm going to work on making my voice choppier. I'm going to start smoking cigarettes or something so it, so it gets all gravelly. <laughs> I know. And, and uh, although we couldn't get him on webcam due to some uh, technical difficulties, we also got my good friend, uh, one of the top two players, like incontestably in Montreal, it's like the how the tiers happen. It's as if like the two players are on their own plane, and then there's the rest of us. We got someone that's also represented us as captain of our country for the World Magic Cup. We got John Stern on the cast. How's it going, John? Pretty good. You know, I'm in Victoria now, though, right? So I, I'm out of Alex's shadow for a little bit. <laughs> we, we we have to move the rankings. That was just one person. Um, mm-hmm. But now he's also gone to California for a couple of weeks. So, hey, the top of, king of the hills up for grabs. All right. <laughs> um, John, I, I decided to ask you to come on. Uh, well, actually, I wanted you to come on for a while now, but then you decided to top eight a GP. But I had messaged you. I think the day the day before, or just a few days before, what you were planning to play at GP, and if you were ready, and you oh, yeah. said not going to test. Yeah, I tested zero. <laughs> you tested zero. <laughs> I tested zero. I think I, I think I had I wrote that to you in the chat, right? No testing. Yeah, no testing. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was moving to BC, and it was really hectic. So, um, yeah, I didn't really have time to play any games, but I still put some thought into it, and I've played Affinity before, so wasn't completely off the radar. Was that your last deck, uh, last modern deck that you played uh, competitively? Um, no, I think I played uh, I played Lantern at the last GP. Um, I played uh, Lantern, Jund, Affinity, Splinter Twin when it was legal, a few other decks, uh, Living End. But I played Affinity probably in four or five GPs at this point. Was there anything that led you to the decision, the bannings, or that swayed you away away from Lantern? Did, did you have good success with Lantern? I forget um, the GP you played at. Well, I it depends on if you take the tournament as a whole. I started ten uh, zero. Uh, that was I forget which GP it was. Is it Dallas or something? I started ten zero, but then lost my last five. So, um, I think the deck is good. Uh, I don't think I played it perfectly, and I was pushing the clock a little bit in some rounds. Um, but yeah, the deck is solid. Um, there was no strong reason why I chose not to play it. Uh, I thought Affinity might be a little better for this tournament. Okay, well, why? The the bannings had anything to do with it? Well, the bannings, like, uh, so when I started looking at deck lists, um, the first thing that was apparent is that, like, there's a lot of sort of fringe decks or new decks that were being played a lot online. Um, and it wasn't really clear what the metagame would be. And I think that's that's something that really favors affinity when people are not targeting it specifically. You can dodge some of the hate. Um, 
And Affinity is one of the best decks in Modern. It's been one of the best decks in Modern for years. So if you don't expect a lot of paid, I think it's a great time to play Affinity. Uh, the biggest question for me was the Pure Steel Paladin deck. If people are playing, like I, I didn't know Stony Silence was good against that deck. I had some people tell me it was because they rely so much on Mox Opal, but it didn't feel like it would be the kind of card people would throw in their sideboards just for that matchup um, because they could still draw a bunch of cards and kill you with Echoing Truth. So uh, I didn't think there'd be more Stony Silences. So then I was just like, yeah, I'll play Affinity. I'll work on my sideboard. And I had a comfortable game plan for basically every matchup I could face. So um, Usually there's sometimes debate on certain card choices in the affinity list, whether it's like, should I be playing Thoughtcast now? Should it be Master of Ethereum versus Edge Champion? Uh, Galvanic Blast. Do you find yourself having to juggle between that, or has it been pretty consistent, your main deck? Um, I've gone back and forth on some things. Um, uh, like, for example, uh, this, this tournament I played a mix of two Champion, two Master of Ethereum. Uh, you don't want to have too many four drops. You don't want to have too many colored cards. So that's where the balance comes in. But the two cards are very good in different matchups. Um, Edge Champion is really good against the grindy decks, and Master of Theorem is the card you want when you have to race a clock. Um, in terms of Galvanic Blast and Thoughtcast, I've hated Galvanic Blast for a long time, but it's it's a necessary evil, I find. And I don't think Thoughtcast really does what you want to do in the deck. I don't like the card. Uh, it was good for a short time, basically, when as a way of fighting against like ancient grudges. Uh, but when people have like a more, you know, all encompassing cyborg plan, whether it's, you know, Stony Silence or Shatterstorm or Damnation, um, like drawing two cards is not, not really, like you need to establish a presence early to get around Stony Silence and you need to be able to like fight them quickly. You can't really just draw a bunch of cards and hope to overwhelm them because their, their cyborg cards are just so good against you that the drawing a couple extra cards will not get you out of the problem. Um, so I don't, I haven't played Thoughtcast for a long time. I don't think it's good. I, yeah, basically I'm off it completely. And Galvanic Blast is really good right now. So even though I don't like the card, you know, I played four copies. Hmm. And, and do you find like this deck has been consistently performing over the years? And like you just said, it's a great choice for anyone to pick up. I mean, there's some rumblings, of people I see sometimes on Twitter that maybe Mox Opal should be banned, but I haven't, I've never seen two cause of a concern. Like no one's been scared. It just feels like it's the one has been one of the best decks. It's now actually still one of the more affordable decks in the whole spectrum of, of tier one modern decks. So I guess people should just jump in if they're looking for a deck to start. Uh, what do you think, John? Uh, well, so the question, what do I think about Mox Opal and whether it should be banned? Yeah. Well, um, quick, quick thoughts on that. Like it, I only see like a few tweets here and there about it from time to time, but nothing like really strong about it. Yeah, I mean, people who want to beat Affinity can beat Affinity. It's it's definitely something they can do if that's the number one deck. Mox Opal is probably the best card in Modern. I mean, it's definitely in the top two or three, I think. So, I mean, they banned some cards that I don't think were overpowered. So, yeah, they could ban Mox Opal, but if they ban Mox Opal, they are basically going to ban at this point probably three different decks just from existing completely. Um, so I think they're going to shy away from doing that. Um, like Lantern would go, I guess the Pure Steel Paladin deck would go. Uh, certainly Affinity would be, I mean, I don't think you'd play without Mox Opal. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think Affinity does a bad thing for the format. It's a, it's a deck that 
has some blowout games, but there's also some very interactive games. Um, it's a complicated deck to play. Um, there's a lot of Ravager math that's difficult both to play and to play against. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a problem, but, you know, it could be on the watch list. I, I just find it funny that, like, because all this constant talk of bannings and significant bannings, that I have to put, like, investment safety as one of my considerations in my head if I were, if I were personally myself to jump in modern. So, I, I, for me, actually, I actually might have to think about that. In terms of whether you want to, like, pick up Affinity as the modern deck that you're going to play? Yeah, look, I don't want... Uh, I might have a bit of concern. Well, not... For me, I'm not, I don't invest in, in Paper Magic anymore, but I'm trying to imagine, like, if I did, maybe I'd be worried if I was playing a certain deck that has cards that people think are going to be banned and I don't want my entire deck to just die off because of a potential ban. It does worry me. So it has all these bannings have had like a small effect on me, not in reality because I'm not actually buying them, but uh, yeah. You heard it here first. KYT is going to start playing Soul Sisters because the deck is infinitely safe. Yeah, that's probably safe. Um, I mean, most decks have like, if they ever become really great, there's a card they could ban. I mean, I guess, you know, some decks are safe. You could probably just play more folk forever. Uh, yeah. How do you like the way that Wizards uh, manages the modern ban list? Do you think they're doing a good job, kind of? I, I hate how much we talk about bans, by the way, but it always seems to be a pertinent topic, and people seem very interested in, to hear everyone's thoughts. So so I will ask the question. I'll finish my, my thought. I interrupted myself. Uh, <laughs> do, do you like the way they manage the ban list? Uh, do you think there's obvious mistakes they're making? Uh, does it make the format better, their hands-on approach to kind of get rid of cards, sometimes even before they become a problem or when they're just prominent in, in the metagame, not necessarily even a problem, such as in the case of Splinter Twin? Well, I think they, they were, their hand was forced to manage the ban list when it was a Pro Tour format. Um, at this point, I would like to see cards just not get banned. I don't, I don't think Splinter Twin needed to be banned. It was a good deck, and now there's different good decks. I don't... I guess I just sort of approach it from whatever they tell me I can play, then I'll find the best deck and play that. I don't really, yeah, it sucks. I feel like it, it, you know, nerfs the value of your collection, but I haven't had, like, I didn't really have a problem with the, you know, the pro ban or anything like that. It's, it just changed what's good and that, that's okay. Um, in general, I don't like bannings. Like I, I would like to see eternal formats, you know, stay the same and let people adapt, but you know, you do have to shake things up, I guess, once in a while. What's your opinion on, on Modern as a whole outside the ban list? Do you enjoy the format? Because I am very vocal that I think it's maybe the worst possible way to play Magic short of EDH. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree, that, I agree that EDH is worse. Um, <laughs> I mean, I like, I, like playing, I like the games. I like playing games. Um, I think that there's a lot of problems with cyborg cards and a lot of games that are just not fun to play, but... I mean, you're still playing Magic, and I just it's so hard to make an Eternal format good that, yeah, I mean, like right now I, I'd have more fun playing Modern than Standard, so I don't, I don't really know what to say. Like, I think the format's okay. I, I'm glad it's not a PT format. I don't mind playing it every once in a while at a GP. I think they, they monitor, like, um, the kind of tournament attendance at the LGS pretty closely, I feel like. And I think uh, as you see that start to dip you're more and more likely 
I'm going to see something either go on or come off the ban list just to create a bunch of buzz around the format and get all of those people like back into the stores, like trying out their new brews before like the dust settles. So like they can still grab some wins before someone figures out that, Oh, this is the best deck. I'm just going to kind of come with it every week. Um, and, and, you know, and, and take it down uh, until people get sick of that and tournament attendance goes down and they they do it again. It's, it's either that or, like, uh, a deck is super dominant and just, like, you know, blows the GP circuit away, um, you know, for two tournaments in a row. Like, if this Death Shadow deck just continuously puts three to four copies in the top eight, I could see them doing something, even though, like, I feel that it's a deck that doesn't really deserve it. It's not doing anything, like, overly oppressive. It's just... Uh, kind of a more annoying um, and uh, and larger Jun deck, but I think that they're just going to look at the results and if, yeah, if something's so oppressive or it's affecting tournament attendance or all the casuals are screaming about it, then they'll just, they'll just do something just to, uh, you know, to create some buzz. That's funny. There's a term in, in wrestling called the cheap pop, and you're basically suggesting that Wizards kind of uses the ban list as a cheap pop for the the modern format. Like essentially, oh, maybe people aren't that into it. So as long as we do something, people will get excited again. And it seems to work. I, I again, I'll continue to say that at least I don't I don't go to LGSs, but I do have friends who run LGSs, and they tell me that modern is far and away their most popular format. And I still don't understand why, but it's interesting. I like this idea of the cheap pop ban. Like, okay, just throw something on there. People get real excited again. And then in a few months, they'll remember that modern is not a very good format. And then boom, another ban. The cheap pop comes back and everyone's back in. I mean, they, they, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to analyze this a couple of years from now. It's like, <laughs> once you have all the data, it's like, oh, we get bans every five and a half months. It seems okay. <laughs> Pretty regular. Like, like the problem with modern just feels so like unsolvable. People have their deck. They played at the LGS every week and they're not, you know, there's no, they don't want to change. They just want to play whatever it is. It's uh, ad nauseum every week and whether it's good or not. And I don't really know how you fix modern. Like it, you can make it more like legacy or more like standard, but which one do you want to do? I guess right now the clear answer is not like standard, right? No, nobody wants that. <laughs> well, <laughs> an abject disaster. So I mean, we'll like take a, legacy, like please. A Thank you. Type format. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, enough of this modern talk. And I, I kind of feel, I feel, Brian, every time you put a little jab at Commander, I, I feel like my friend Barry, one of your biggest, biggest fans, like, oh man, I love everything about <laughs> Brian. Except he, he treats EDH like a punching bag. But I can't help but laugh. It's just too funny. Um, I can take over that mantle and beat on EDH if you guys want. I'm fine holding that torch. I, tell Barry I will play my first ever game of Commander with him. I'm going to, to build a Commander deck. Tell him to let me know when he's going to be there. And I'll give him the opportunity. This is a, a one-game opportunity to convince me that Commander has any place whatsoever in the Magic community. One game, that's all you get. <laughs> he's wow. going to destroy all your lands and take infinite turns. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that's what I deserve, basically. Oh, man. Okay, um, from GP Vancouver, we'll fast forward to just a few days ago where Brian's messaging me and Rob about this broken standard that he might have broken it. So... Is Mardu Ballista the best deck in Standard? We'll use that as the topic. Brian, take it away. Is Mardu Ballista the best deck in Standard right now? Well, the answer is yes. 
right now, right this second, I'm going to kind of go back a little bit, though, and set up how I got to that conclusion and make sure credit gets in the right place. Because we just talked about crediting deck builders last week. I, I did send you guys a, a list and kind of like sideboard guide for the Mardu Ballista uh, deck list this weekend. And it was something that I had tuned and worked on a bit, but I found the idea from a Moto PTQ and kind of my genesis for getting to this place was uh, there was a Moto PTQ back last week. And the first thing that caught my eye about this PTQ is three of the top four slots were taken by almost identical four color Sahili lists. Um, so when a deck has a dominant performance like that, obviously it catches my eyes and I start playing games with this four color Sahili list and it's real good. Like it feels like it has all the issues that Sahili has ever had ironed out. Um, it's, it's doing a lot of really powerful stuff. It's got a fair game plan that I really like. Um, so I get pretty excited about it, but it's, it's so hard to play. And I feel myself, you know, I don't do a lot of play testing. I feel myself making mistakes all over the place. So, uh, I kind of was like, I think this deck's very good, but it may not be the correct deck for me. Let's see what else is out there. And so I went back to the PTQ and I took a closer look at the deck that won. And in my head, I had just written it off as a Mardu deck, but I looked closer and it was playing walking ballista. And it becomes very clear to me why this guy was able to beat, uh, three, four color Sahelia decks in the top four because walking ballista makes that matchup so much better for the Mardu decks. They just can never combo off and never have a ballista in play. It's another must kill creature. You get a lot of value. So I start messing around with this Mardu ballista list and change some things that the, the PTQ winner had in his list and realize the deck is very, very, very good, especially after figuring out some really strong sideboard plans for matchups that would otherwise be problematic. Um, and that brings us to Saturday night where I feel like I should now pass the story on to Rob because he's the one with actual good news to report. So, Yeah, so I was actually on um, I was on regular Mardu because that's what I played at GP Pittsburgh. And I liked my list. I had two Avacyns in the board um, mm-hmm. instead of like the Skyship and um, I don't know what other fa- – uh, maybe a Fumigate or something I think that other people were playing at that time. And I was like, Avacyn re- seems really good. So I tried to pull like all that stuff in the main – and make it more controlly. It was just like pure garbage. <laughs> so then Sammy sent me a teamer Dynavolt deck and was like, this deck's going to be good. Uh, it's going to dominate Utrecht. You should probably play it. I was having good results with it, but uh, it seemed inconsistent. And then, yeah, Brian shifts me this Mardu list and is like, hey, the format's broken. Uh, you, you should all play this tomorrow. And I was like, uh, you know, what's special about this list? I open it up and it's in a PowerPoint format. So I'm immediately like, well, this has to be legit. Like, I don't even know where this came from. But this, I did this send a full PowerPoint some... presentation on this deck. He, he's not exaggerating. So. Yeah, it's an actual, it's a PowerPoint presentation about the deck and about the sideboarding notes is in a PowerPoint. So I thought it was like, I don't know, he just like scooped Channel Fireball sideboarding notes for like their GPU Trek Mardu deck or something. I was like, oh, this has got to be legit. So I, I looked at it, and the, I think the really the big uh, new innovation is cutting Motorist and being able to put more Swamps in the deck, or more Black Mana sources in general, and be less reliant on red. Uh, and then cutting Motorist, and you put in your other two-drop, which is Walking Ballista. So when I was making this change, and I was trying to do this more, more controlled mid-range deck uh, with Avacyns in the main, I was actually cutting Toolcraft Exemplar and leaving Motorist because I thought Motorist was... Um, a sacred cow, <laughs> but it seems that it's uh, it's not, and cutting it makes the mana so much better, uh, and walking bullets is obviously just the nuts. That's been the nuts, the whole format. So, um, yeah, you just get to do so many great things, and the, every matchup just seems uh, insane. Like, the deck is great against green-black, 
it's great against uh, four colors to Healy. Just being able to jam a bunch of pressure and leave a ballista up so that you're not constantly leaving up unlicensed disintegration every turn uh, to stop them from comboing is just allows you to just progress your game plan in the same way that you wanted to do it, uh, you know, without, you know, any compromise. Um, and then, of course, the matchup is uh, just great against the other older Mardu decks because they're still playing Motorist and you're playing Ballista. So it's just like infinite value. So, yeah, I took it to the RPTQ. I built it at uh, 7.30 in the morning, <laughs> called some people, woke them up, and got the last cards I need, and I didn't drop a match the whole day. It was easy sailing. This deck is just nuts. It's just nuts. I what I see Doug's like, why was I in the thread? I, I forgot. <laughs> I completely forgot the reason why. I actually thought like we ignored him, but I had messaged you two guys to make sure that you were on for, for Monday and then Brian's like, yeah, hey, I just threw it in there, there, yeah. Wow, so was, we, was Doug playing an RPTQ? Or you I just want to win FNM or something? I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> we had this broken deck that we we could have just shipped them. One shot. Oh, wow. You played the one in Toronto, Rob? Yeah, I played, I played the one in Toronto, yeah, at 401. So is, is Ballista better than Motorist against Black Greens specifically? Like, it's definitely better against the four-color deck. I, I um, don't think it is better against Black Green. I mean, you certainly sideboard it out. And, but the thing is, your sideboard plan against Black Green at this point is so difficult for them to deal with. And I know the Fumigate cat is out of the bag. Like, Black Green players expect you to bring in Fumigate. But that doesn't mean that they have a good answer and a good way to play around it. They're very reliant on generating such a huge amount of board presence that it's very difficult for them not to get blown up by Fumigate, even if they know you have it. Um, so, you know, the, the, pro, the pre-board matchup is not great against Black Green, and it, it's probably worse because you're playing Walking Ballista. It's not a great card against them, but you're so good post-board that I, I think it doesn't matter at this point. Yeah, I was, um, I was actually cutting Toolcraft Exemplar and one Motorist in Pittsburgh in my sideboarding plans against Green Black just because I didn't want to get ballisted out. And if I did, I wanted to get some value, which maybe is just not correct. It's better, it seems better just to try and keep the clock on them early. Um, but I still went like 7-1 in matches against Green Black with that plan. Um, but yeah, it, it felt very good not to have Motorist uh, in the deck. I was mana screwed uh, less often which uh, was very important because the deck with Motorist in it, it wants red on turn two, but then you want black on turn, like you really want black on turn three to um, to like return Scrap Heap Scrounger if that happens. Like it just, it creates a bunch of weird scenarios like that where you're so reliant on having all three colors uh, right away where this like really um, lessens that, that tension. So I found that to be very helpful. Hmm. Rob, does this, inc- does this result increase or decrease your chances of showing up at GP New Jersey? Uh, so, so a bunch of people have been asking me if I'm going and I'm like, I, I'm not going. I, I'm like, I only have like, uh, five pro points this season. It's not really worth it. And then they're like, well, we have the RPTQ coming up. I was like, okay, fine. Sure. Sure. If I queue for Nashville, I'll, I'll probably go to New Jersey, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I just need to arrange to have, uh, a bunch of the grandparents be able to swap the baby back and forth so that he's looked after during the weekend. And then uh, once I get that sorted out, I'll be able to lock in and go. But I think it's, uh, I'm like 95% confirmed. So, hmm. Back to you, Brian. Any adjustments you see uh, you needing to make heading into, uh, because of the recent GP results, do they affect what you might want to bring in heading into uh, GP New Jersey? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, you know what's going to dictate that is what happens on Moto. People who want to know more about metagaming, I, I honestly think that 
this, and this doesn't apply to the pro tour. This is in post pro tour weeks leading up to GPs. Just look at moto results. Like there's so much information to be gleaned from just looking at moto results. And it's a lot of times very easy to anticipate the metagame. I, I knew four color Sahili would be everywhere. It was all over moto all week. So there's no reason for it not to be at the RPTQ in, in large numbers. Um, so to go back to your question, I don't know yet. I think that obviously there's adaptations you can make and that's kind of what this format is about is small adaptations in the core decks. Um, you know, we were at a point very early in the format where, uh, we were very sure that it was incorrect to be vulnerable to ballista. And that's kind of why Mardu fell off the radar pre pro tours because people were very concerned about vulnerabilities to ballista. Um, so are we back in that state? I, I don't know. Maybe it's like you, you can't afford to play. Um, you just can't afford to play motorist anymore because you get picked off by ballistas. And, and once you know that, well, wait, there's not any good targets for ballista anymore. So should I even be playing ballista? Maybe I have to move past ballista um, and beat up on the people who are looking to get the edge that way. I was talking about maybe something like Forerunner of Slaughter uh, taking the ballista spot just so you have a two drop that has three power. Um, but isn't vulnerable to getting pinged out. Now, obviously, that brings up the red and black mana issues again, uh, so you don't have that figured out. But, you know, these are the type of ideas I want to look into. And then there's always the possibility of just uh, going over top of everything, you know. If the format's kind of like the, the Mardu decks are starting to slow down, you can start talking about large decks again, like Aetherworks Marvel and, uh, you know, Jeskai Sahili maybe. So I don't know. I want to see what happens on, on Moto in the coming weeks, but I'll also be attending New Jersey and hopefully I'll figure something out then and have a PowerPoint circulating before the uh, <laughs> event that we can all look at. Yeah, just, just Doug. Night. <laughs> <laughs> Doug's like, where the hell's the PowerPoint, guys? Um, John, are you, are you going down to GB New Jersey? Um, I was going to. I registered for it, but I, I actually decided I'm going to skip that one. Um, okay. just the flights from out West are more expensive and it's, it's the one standard tournament before the PT. So if I just skip this one GP, I can focus on modern and limited. So that's what I'm going to do. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll miss it. Cause normally I would drive down, but you know, I'm going to Orlando. I'm going to San Antonio and going to Mexico. And what formats are those GPs? Um, so Orlando is limited. Um, San Antonio is unified modern team tournament and Mexico is team limited. Ooh, sweet. Yeah. Do you have your team already? I I have, uh, most likely I have my team for both tournaments. Um, not sure I'm the third player for San Antonio yet, but I think it's very likely. But okay. yeah. All I'm right. playing with Magiton for sure uh, for the San Antonio tournament. Uh, and uh, for limited, I'm playing with Greg Ogrens and uh, um, who's my third? And uh, Stephen Neal. Ooh. Wait, how, how are you and Magilton going to play Unified Modern? That sounds like uh, He gets the Memnites and I get the Ornithopters. It's easy. Oh, okay, good good plan. <laughs> we're we're going to see if we can get Frank Carson to be a third. But, like, to be honest, like, I'm not going to be playing Infinity. Like, that's... That'd be really funny. He gets the Memnites. <laughs> I get the Ornithopters. Um, we'll yeah, you, you can't play two platings each, though, I think, right? One person has to have all of them, so... <laughs> We can have Bonesaw and Memnite, I guess. Bonesaw, great plan. Yeah. <laughs> you can play Shaping Steel or whatever the tutor is called, right? And then you can play one and a bunch of tutors. One part, deck. Can you copy your opponents? Like, maybe you'll just play against them. <laughs> That's a good plan. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to figuring out that format, though. Uh, I don't really know. There's a lot of different combinations you can play. I'm not sure if the unified structure 
is much of a hindrance or not. I mean, certainly the lands are an issue. Like if you want to split off Path to Exile or Lightning Bolt, that might be an issue. Yeah, it doesn't strike me as particularly limited or limiting, but it's an interesting wrinkle to have to consider. I mean, at least it gives you pause and, and may force out some uh, kind of diversity in deck selection that we otherwise wouldn't see. So, Well, that also might include like a bit of metagaming that you don't normally have in modern, um, which might be interesting. Yeah. Like if there's only like eight different combinations that are really feasible, then, you know, you can start trying to pick those off. Very true. All right. We're going to We're talked about, uh, Brian talked about modal results and how he looks at them, which is funny if we call back to, I think episode one or two where Rob and Doug <laughs> got, got heat for, for not evaluating, for not analyzing all the deck lists. Uh, on MTGO. <laughs> you remember that, Rob. Um, Rob, but, have you learned your lesson now that you're going back to the Pro Tour on the back of, of Moto analysis? Uh, is Eldrazi Tron a deck yet? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I think it is now. <laughs> well, maybe uh, now. I think it's solid. Do now. You guys give who got like credit for that? Is... Sorry? Um, who got Eldrazi Tron up? Uh... I can't remember, but I think it's just it's just solidly tier two. It's colorless merfolk, um, and I think it's very easy to beat. So I'm not really worried about it. <laughs> to me, to me, I credit Vincent Thibault as the for me like the first person that I've seen succeed consistently. Like he queued himself and multiple other PT uh, PTQ grinders on his team uh, to the RPTQ. He then went on to win the face to face Montreal Open. And then he went on to clinch another RPTQ. So he's like, to me, he's the Eldrazi Tron badass. So right. I give a lot of credit to uh, Vincent Thibault and the uh, the articles that he's written for me with complete Cyborg Guy for every matchup. That his Cyborg Guy was too, like had to be broken down into two articles. It was ridiculous. Um, I can appreciate that. <laughs> but that was pre-Ballista, so be curious to know if he approves of Ballista. Uh, in like a lot of people, I think I've talked to Maxim Shaket on his team, and he believes like Ballista definitely deserves a spot. Uh, when we're talking about modal list, Brian, you brought up this excellent topic. Um, it was a interaction between Chris Massioli and Brad Nelson on Twitter. Chris Massioli says, I think it's time we just stop posting at Magical Index. Formats get solved super fast as people can easily just iterate on what's working. And Brad Nelson replies, agree completely. We'd love to turn down the information dial. Uh, this has been a topic that's been mentioned by on Twitter before where people complain about the SCG uh, tournaments solving the PT too early. So Brian says, this is your topic. I'll let you take it away. What do you think? Should we be like stopping this, turning it down, as Brad would say? It's so hard for me to say. I mean, as as someone who kind of relies on these moto results, like I, I just this is where all of my information comes. This is how I do testing. I, I look at motor results and think. Like that's my entire process. Um so I don't want it to go away, but I also simultaneously recognize the problem with having this much information out there and formats get solved very quickly. That's indisputable. Where it's it's like I said we're just making these small iterations now. And that's what the format's about is making these small wrinkles to existing decks. And maybe if we didn't have this deluge of information, 
we'd still be in the process of figuring out what are these three decks as opposed to just figuring out how to get these three decks correct. But even that process is accelerated by Moto results. because so obviously you see the spread of Mardu Ballista, which only had to win one Moto PTQ to now take over uh, ostensibly the entire real life metagame. So I, I don't know what the answer is here. I think probably for the overall health of especially standard, it would be best for these moto results to go away. Um, especially now that they're in, it used to be like you'd get one daily result a day um, and it would show all the, I think all the 4-0 and 3-1 decks from the daily result and they would just choose a random daily every day. Uh, now you get every single 5-0 from a league and that's different information we're getting now and that's something that shouldn't be ignored. This isn't the same information that we were getting previously since the advent of leagues. Um, and it, it does seem like it's bearing fruit a little bit quicker than it did previously. Um, maybe there's a middle ground. Uh, maybe these could be curated a little bit to just kind of pull out the interesting list. But I, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're doing their job because honestly, I don't know exactly what their job is. Like, have we ever had this discussion? Why are we sharing the Moto results? I don't know the answer to that. Like, it, there's nothing set in stone that says there has to be published moto results. Like, are we doing it to get people credit? Are we doing it because we want the metagame to be solved faster? Or here's another option. Are we doing it because in the old system, you could actually garner this information yourself if you want to. You could go back and watch all of the replays um, from a daily event and extrapolate all the information, see what was doing well, see what everyone was playing. Um, in the current system, this information is no longer available. So maybe these results were added as kind of like a level of convenience and a way to even the playing field and not just give this advantage to people who are willing to put in the hours to sift through all these replays and just put the information out there for everyone. Um, but now with, with the league system, it's at least time to have this conversation internally for Wizards. Um, I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm curious to hear everyone else's opinion because I'm kind of torn on this. John, you got any thoughts on this? Do I? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think they already are having an internal discussion about it. I mean, they shut down websites that were posting data on, you know, Magic Online results. Um, but I also, I mean, like like you said, that's your primary way of getting information, and that's part of what you like about Magic. I think a lot of people are in that spot, and you know, there's going to be a line somewhere. Like, are they just going to not post decklists from GPs? Like, they could just give you no information and have people you know, back, you know, 15 years ago, that's what we did. Like you just built a deck and you just played in the tournament, but I don't know, is that really what we want? Then it's not really about metagaming. It's more like modern or legacy where people just play their deck and they don't know if it's good and they just play it anyway. And you can't really metagame. And it's more of like a lottery on what your pairings are this way. I mean, yeah, we approach a solved format and then there's a rotation. Like is mod is like standard people complain about standard now, but is it really solved? Like four color Sahili and, Mardu Blista were not really tier one decks before this past week. So even though it feels like a stale format, it's still sort of evolving and we don't really know what it will be next week. Um, yeah. There's a line. I know, I know a lot of people who play online, like they'll play a league and they'll drop if they're 4-0 because they don't want their deck to get out. And I don't know if that's the situation we want. I think that's a problem. Um, yeah, but I don't know what the perfect line is. Yeah, I think they're... Um... 
I don't know that things are fine. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, you were talking about the data um, and Watsi shutting down the websites, but like that was like MTG Goldfish writing a script that would go through every completed match of Magic on Moto and try and determine like what the archetype was and who won and who lost. So you can say like, you know, with some reasonable certainty that. Uh, Aldrazi Tron has a 0% matchup versus um, <laughs> whatever, no, normal Tron or all the decks, <laughs> for example, right? So, I, like, that's the stuff they were trying to pull out, and they would have that for every matchup, right? So um, that's not great. There, you you saw things, like, uh, in that era where they'd have, like, oh, Obzon Aggro is favored against 100% of its matchups, right? Like, it's 50-50 in the mirror, and then... Uh, everything else it's it's advantage in. And they were able to just pull that data out of Moto. And that's when Watsi was like, uh, yeah, let's not uh, do that. <laughs> it's like, we could take your access away to scrape this data, or you could just like stop posting it. Um, so, you know, just don't do that. So, so they, they I, I believe they t- ended up taking away their access to the, to the information altogether. But um, yeah, so, like that's not good. That's analyzing like hundreds of thousands of games or whatever um, and, and pulling a statistical result from it. Um, I think the way things are now, it's, it's fine. I think if they were to like just stop producing motor results, for example, you would just have a surge in people who are kind of like king of the hill at their LGS um, or, or I guess wherever they play, they're just going to be very difficult to unseat. So people that are, are losing frequently will continue to lose, like they'll lose more frequently and people that are winning will win more frequently. And that's probably like not what you want at the LGS, right? At least with all this information, people can go with confidence uh, to one of these websites that's writing about what's good and what's bad and say like, oh, look, at MTG Goldfish, there's like, you know, three decks a day that are Mardu that, that 5-0 competitive league. So if I take that to my FNM, like I'm at least not going to get rolled um, unless I'm, you know, playing terribly. And I think that's fine. Uh, and I agree with John that the metagame is still rolling. Like, things are still moving, and it's not completely solved. And Amonkhet actually is even too far away already, right? <laughs> so um, I, I think uh, I think this standard is fine. Uh, there's, like, four major decks, um, and there's a couple of fringe strategies if, that's, uh, if that floats your boat. Um, and I think that's probably a, a good standard. That's where people want to be. They don't want to be changing decks every week unless you're a degenerate like uh, some of us. But for most people, they, they just want to invest in their deck and hopefully it lasts them until the next set comes out. I think you convinced me, Robin. I think you did it with the argument, uh, kind of the snowball argument, where people who are losing will continue to lose and people who are winning will continue to win. And that's probably not a good state. And also I was thinking a little bit about other... Um, kind of electronic competitive endeavors such as say League of Legends or Hearthstone. There's a tremendous amount of League of Legends data out there. Um, You know, they analyze actual millions of games to get kind of win rates for different champions. And I know Hearthstone has a pretty exhaustive um, analytic system. So I guess this is just that, I mean, you know, in some sense we're trying to put the genie back in the bottle, right? Like we live in a very data driven world now things will never be like they were 15 years ago. And uh, I, I guess it's just time to own up to that, accept it and uh, move forward under these grounds. So yeah, you, you sold me. Keep, keep the results coming. I think it's the right place to be. John. I, I think it just, it changes like the, the creative aspect instead of like, if there are no results, your emphasis is on like trying to figure out what would be what now we have results. And instead you're trying to figure out how can I beat this top deck? And I think that's a fine place to be. I don't, 
I don't really view it as a problem. Mm. Sweet. Yeah. Hey, Doug, <laughs> ch chalk one up for Ralph Lombardi. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think, well, I was thinking if they did hide, uh, it was a random thought on the way home, like if they did hide results, then it would give like these, I, I wonder if people could uh, sell their deck list, right? If they were completely hidden um, and they kept, see, kept seeing someone perform super well and they're like, you know, if you want my list, you got to ship me a few dollars or something. Um, well, so that's did, what tournament, tournament reports used to be because you wouldn't have access to them otherwise. Oh, yeah. So I just felt like it gave this other an avenue of, of monetization for, for some of these uh, high-performing players. But they, they also want to sell cards, and they want people to get excited about this new deck. And I don't know if everyone would go through the, you know, would pay for a deck list. They just wouldn't bother. Right, right. I, I think having some amount of public deck list is just good for the game. All righty, all righty. Um, before uh, anyone wonders who that like random blue guy that we have, just for some of you that have joined us, 58 viewers were like rivaling. We're, we've even surpassed the Jerry episode, I think. We have John Stern, formerly the second best player in Montreal. This has been as recent as like a few days ago, formerly number two. And now I don't know where he ranks, wherever he lives right now. Now I'm number four. <laughs> <laughs> number four, he's actually dropped down. Just keep moving, John, until you're number one. You'll get there. Yeah. In the rankings. <laughs> um, moving on to another topic uh, from Twitter. Uh, I want Rob, Rob, you get first dibs on this. It's just uh, Efro. Efro's uh, just tweeted just a few hours ago. Magic is expensive to play. The way to fix that isn't tanking any card prices, but increasing price support. The money will come right back in, and it feels like you'd completely disagree with that. Yeah, like this is... <laughs> He's basically saying that we should use trickle-down economics or whatever in the magic world to entice, like, the fish to come in as if that's what brings them in. Like, hey, new player, here's this carrot of making a lot of money. You're, like, never going to achieve that, but I will, so you should come in and give me your, you know, your hard-earned money so that I can walk away richer. It's just – I don't – I just don't understand how it would ever work. Like there's already events that are pushing towards like very competitive casual scene where, you know, like they'll have free FNM where the prizes are like pretty reduced just to bring people in. Like a lot of people that play at the LGS are not there to try and like grind out $35 in credit a week so that they can play uh, for free. <laughs> A lot of people are just there to hang out for a few hours and, and have some fun with their friends, right? So I, I don't think there's uh, any reason to, like, kind of rake these people over the coals, um, you know, so that the rich can get richer type of thing. I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, it's weird that his uh, – what his comment – I'm not sure where it's coming from. Like, I don't see that the LGS needs help running events. They seem to be – uh, if there's an interesting format, there seems to be pretty packed, and I don't really see people complaining about card prices too much uh, lately. I mean, standard's pretty reasonable, um, and people can make friends and borrow cards. So I don't know. It's just a weird. It's just a weird statement. I I would like more background on the justification and why he thinks it's it, even the discussion needs to be had at all. <laughs> can you read it again? The tweet. Okay, I'll, I'll read it again. Um, he said that. Magic is expensive to play. 
the way to fix that isn't tanking any car prices, but increasing price support. The money will come right back in. It will trickle, like in a subsequent tweet, he'll say it will trickle down. The game would increase in size exponentially and the support at the local level would in kind. Okay. What's your take, John? Well, okay, so, but he's not saying he should, like when you say rake the, the players at the LGS over the coals, he's not talking about increasing entry fees or anything, is he? Well, like, how are you going to raise the price support, John? It's just going to well, fall from the sky? I, I mean, I, I don't... My take on, <laughs> my take on that is that he thinks surprise support should be increased at high-level tournaments like GPs and that that will trickle down. I, I don't think he's saying that LGSs should give out more prizes. Um, but I also don't really understand the tweet or why... Like, is he, is he worried that card prices are tanking? Like, I don't... I really don't understand what he's saying. Brian? <laughs> I guess uh, I guess I have to play the role of interpreter here. I, I guess I, and my my gut reaction is that this is a reaction to Modern Masters, um, which we have an exclusive spoiler for coming up any moment now. Um, but there, uh, he's reacting to Modern Masters okay. and Wizards' efforts to drive prices down to get more people involved in in the game. Uh, John, I think you're right that he's suggesting this sh- should be done at the Pro Tour GP level. Um, the idea of trickle-down economics, as the only American um, on this podcast right now, uh, we are currently in a phase where our country is embracing trickle-down economics, and everyone except the richest people will be screwed by the end of it. I promise you. That is the way trickle-down economics works. Um, he... I don't think he. I, I don't think he's coming from a greedy place. Like I, I do think his heart's in the right place. I just don't know that he necessarily thought out the logistics of things trickling down. Um, it, it's not going to happen. Prize support should certainly be increased so that there could be a more robust and uh, uh, th- there should be access to a career in Magic for more people, essentially. And prize support being increased would do that. Uh, it would be. It would benefit the community as a whole. Um, but. And maybe that's what he means by trickle-down economics. I don't know. But yeah. I just want to tell a quick anecdote about a situation locally that kind of refutes his point. Um, some of my friends opened an LGS in my area. And at the time, my area was kind of like uh, a, a very a very hot area for competitive magic. We had a, a platinum pro living around. Turns out he was a cheater. But never mind. He was platinum at the time. And uh, there's a couple gold people and some people like me who are on and off the pro tour. And so there's a lot of reasonably good people in the area for a very small metro area. And so my friends opened an LGS and their thing was, we have to have the best prize support available. That's how we're going to get all the people in here. And so they started running FNMs essentially. And the prize support was insane. You'd show up at FNM and walk out with $500 for winning. I mean, that's, that's great. And so for the first two weeks, these were packed wall to wall. And, you know, the eight good players in the area, all made the top eight and we prize split and took home a bunch of money each. And then the next week it wasn't quite as packed, but there's a good number of people there and the same eight best players ended up in the top eight of FNM and split the prizes and brought them home. And the next week there was like 12 people there. No one was interested anymore. And that was it. I mean, that's a good way you get all the sharks involved. You'll filter out your casual community real quickly. There's a reason why prize support at the LGS level isn't high. So uh, Rob, you were spot on with that's not going to work. Um, ultimately the most successful events for this LGS 
were free tournaments with almost no prize support. They pack out their free tournaments. They give away a couple foils, um, wall-to-wall pack. They sell a ton of cards. They take in a bunch of collections. It's the, the best thing they can do, and it, it's not from high prize support. So, uh, like I said, Hart's in the right place. He wants the game to grow. Uh, not sure it's particularly sussed out in this tweet. Well, it feels like there's two separate issues, and I don't really buy the, the correlation. Like, I think the prize support at GPs is, you know, it's embarrassing how yes. high the rake is. Um, yes. How only the top 64 out of a 2,000-person tournament or whatever get money, and it's maybe 1% or 2% of the total entry fees being paid out as prize. Like, that's that's a joke. Um, and card prices tanking, I, I, I mean, yeah, Modern Masters is probably going to have some of that effect. Uh, I don't know. Does, do all the cards that get reprinted go down? I, I think some stay up there because if they're driving people into the format, there's higher demand for them. I'm not sure how it works. Yeah, the, the rarest ones, like things like Tarmogoyf, have held their value, I'm pretty sure. But but Fringer cards um, have, have tanked very hard. Yeah, I mean, I don't like that they do that. It's not my biggest concern. But certainly the price support needs to be addressed. I, I don't think price support increased at the GP level, which should happen, will necessarily solve the problem of investing in cards for newer players. I, I don't, they're still going to have an issue. Um, Agreed. Hmm. I, I just, before we, we cut over, I just want to disagree with John a little bit. All right, do it. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's one to 2% of the, the entry fees being paid on price, right? Like, I guess the average entry fee to a GP now, like we'll just call it a hundred dollars, I guess. That okay. seems to be about the going rate. And if so you have 2000 people, that's, that's 200K, right? And I think the price pool for a GP is like 45K. So they're paying out okay, 25%. So yeah, it's probably 25 to 30% to run the event um, for the, the TO. So like, the, I think the TOs are doing okay. <laughs> I, I think uh, the not, problem is that the like... TOs. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, the problem is that Watsi's not running the event, right? So Watsi's putting 50K of their money in. The TO is taking the 200K and doing whatever they want with it. And there's just like, you know, Watsi's making a bet that having this event is worth the $50,000 plus whatever else they have to pay to have people on site to do coverage and yada, yada, yada. But like, if Watsi had a team that ran the event and that money came into Watsi, they could run it at, at like no profit or whatever, right? And then maybe you have a $100,000 prize pool and you have better amenities at the event and you have better coverage because then they can use that 100K to do something useful with. But now the TO's like, well, screw this, you know. I want to make money too, right? Like this is kind of a gamble on my part because if the TO sets up this event and they pay whatever, $75,000 out of pocket um, and then only, you know, 900 people show up and now they're, they're out money, like they need to make sure it's worth their while or whatever, right? And they need to like, you know, make a profit obviously. And that, I don't know, that kind of ruins it a little bit. Um, and maybe like having large sponsors, like whatever, like I don't know, some gaming companies or Coke or Pepsi or McDonald's or something there where like now, uh, you know, Watsi can put in a $150,000 price pool where they're not really like breaking the bank themselves is kind of where you want to be. But uh, I don't know, it's it's a it's kind of a weird spot, just the way that they've set it up, that the TO has a lot of power and freedom to charge what they want and make what they want. Um, and is independent of or completely removed from the pricing structure. I don't know. It's yeah. it's odd. I never I never considered this before, Rob. But you raise a really good point. Why are we still using TOs? Like I, I understand that you know they certainly don't want to see the system go away. Um, but it seems like just a, a very select number of Wizards retailers get to benefit from this, and all of us as players lose. Uh, I have to believe that 
it, I mean, you don't have to do it at a loss, right? Like if Wizards is going to run it, I'm not saying they should do it at a loss. They can still make some money on it. That's that's fine, but they could trim the margins a little bit and leave more for the players. And who does that hurt besides like five or six elite retailers? And do they really depend on those elite retailers at this point? Like, isn't there bread buttered in Target and Walmart and, you know, where they're doing these kind of like casual sales, uh, casual mainstream sales? I, I don't think there's the same level of reliance on these TOs to distribute the product that there used to be. And this kind of seems like an artifact of a, a bygone era that we still do things this way. Hmm. All right. Th- thumbs up from Rob. <laughs> All right. Um, actually, we'll we'll just reveal. Perfect time to reveal my spoiler right here. Um, we have a spoiler. <laughs> uh, I, I asked permission. What we were supposed to actually reveal it tomorrow on on my website, but I asked Blake if I could do it live and then put the real card, uh, real picture of the card tomorrow. What I do ask is, I guess let's do a little contest. Again, we're here with John Stern, former number two best player in Montreal. I love saying this uh, as a blue guy. And uh, if we can get some YouTube thumbs up, up to maybe around 20, that would be sweet. And then I'll consider, if we can get it to 20, I'll consider doing a little contest. I'm going to show you like the picture, not the card itself, but the art, the brand new art for the card. And the first person to guess what the card is can uh, get to copy. Gets a copy. I guess gets a copy of the card. <laughs> I guess because it's an uncommon, a three-man uncommon. Um, and we can well, sign I mean, it. We can sign yeah, it. We can even sign it. Yeah, yeah. We'll ship it around. We'll get it signed. Copy of the card along with some face-to-face store credit, so you don't feel like you're just getting. Well, we shut up the 28 thumbs up right away and one thumbs down. Come on, guy. Who did the thumbs down? Okay, thumbs down. You're, if you don't correct that, you're, you're out of that. Okay, copy. Two copies. Two copies. Seriously. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have it set up on my surface here because, okay, got it ready. I think you're going to have to give some hints. Well, can't wait to use No hints. I mean, like, you can, you know, right away what it is going to be. So, okay. Really? Okay. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Bam. What is that card? I'm going to check the YouTube comments. I'm sure someone's going to figure it out. I don't even know what I, I thought. I want to see if anyone figures it out. There's some pretty random guesses. People are just shooting. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> shoot so wait, what information did you give them? Three mana? Three the mana. Photo, the photo. The photo and three mana. Yeah. Oh, so we have a bunch and of stuff. we're willing to give it away. Oh, I saw it. Edgar. Edgar, you win. You win, Edgar. You win. This is the brand new art. The new walking ballista. The new walking ballista. (laughs) (laughs) The new molten rain right here. That's new molten rain, guys. And I'll be Oh Derek, don't tease me with summer boom. Exclusive (laughs) modern spoiler. Sure to take over the format after this uh, this hot reveal. How many copies will John play at his PT? Over, under, at zero? <laughs> well, it's not legal for the PT. Oh. Oh, yeah. It'll never be legal for the PT. <laughs> and the next team, how many copies will John's team play at, at the Team Unified Modern event? I think that's what, yeah, yeah. I was thinking oh, about four, four copies. Yeah. It'll be an cool. out deck with the Nun Knights and Bone Saws. Yep. <laughs> there is that, there's that red-green Ponza deck floating around Modern. I've seen it show up every now and then. I yeah. mean, it's atrocious, just horrible, but it does exist. Oh, no. Matt Mendoza's Jazzy Chan. 
Probably. <laughs> it probably does. Yeah, it was kind of easy collab that uh, there was a file name at the top here, but like I wasn't going <laughs> to do anything uh, too crazy. That was it. That was, people were saying Stone Rain already. It was, clearly, it wasn't uh, clear enough. It was fuzzy enough for some people. So Molten Rain, it is. Um, Rob, because I think I love I love John's response in our little group chat before uh, doing the show is that he <laughs> he doesn't really care about the new spoilers. Neither do I really. But uh, what do you think about the new announcements today, especially the return of, of Zenicar fetches? Did it excite you? Ah, uh, yeah, that was like I'm sure someone's excited about that. Uh, I was very disappointed to see the, the Zendikar fetch lands in Modern Masters. I actually just, people would say that to me, like, oh, you know, I think it's going to be in Modern Masters. I think the fetch lands will be in Modern Masters. And I always just say, like, there's just no way they would do that. That's just so stupid. Um, like, the fetch lands are just such a cash cow in standard. Like, look what happened with cons. It's like everyone wanted that set, right? Like, it was just such a great uh, set for value. <laughs> like, it was one of the only sets where I went to the pre-release and cracked my packs instead of just trading them in for store credit and then buying some rares or whatever to build a deck later. Um, so I, I just I thought that they would just never give that away. And so I think this is pretty indicative that um, Fetchlands will not be uh, reprinted in standard, at least for the foreseeable future, because um, I don't see them doing it now. And then, like, you know, whatever... Outlazan or whatever the set is after Almanket uh, comes out and there's <laughs> Zendikar fetches in it. It's like, I, I would be pretty surprised. I think that would be pretty unlikely. So, um, yeah, I think it's bad. I think they probably are fine to reprint them in standard, uh, likely after the BFC duels uh, rotate out, um, or at least like right at the end there, so we can have one more standard season with sweet mana. Um, and hours and hours of shuffling. Yeah, that's what I look for in my standard formats. I just want to sit there and shuffle all it's day. It's not like you're not you're not shuffling now. Like there's still like traverse the Ulvenwald and, and like evolving wilds and stuff. <laughs> like people are people are still shuffling their decks uh, now. There's still shuffle effects. There's uh, occasional I shuffling. It was dictated by like the games were just shuffling. Every single round went 20 minutes over time because there was so much shuffling. It was crazy. I. I don't know how you can argue for... I, I think fetch lines are one of the worst design mistakes in Magic history. Um, they're, they're fun. They're great Moto cards. I love them on Moto. But for real Magic, uh, shuffling... You need to be careful with shuffling. It's important you think but about they're shuffling. They're expensive. They're expensive. People like them. They sell product. Who cares? <laughs> I, that, that's true, but they're going to sell this product too. It's not like this product won't sell. Yeah, but this product was going to sell anyways, right? Like, you didn't have to put fetch lanes in this uh, product. They, so. they up the print run. It doesn't, I mean, it, it seems like it may not have some of the marquee cards we've seen before. No Tarmogoyf, no Dark Confidant, no stuff like that. I mean, maybe that stuff's in there. I don't know. But I, we haven't seen it yet. Um, so maybe they needed a little push for this Modern Master set. It's really too early for us to say. I mean, I don't, I don't think we know the contents fully enough yet. Um, you know, these might be the marquee. These, these are $60 cards now, right? Aren't, aren't the current... Zendikar Fetchlands pushing like 60 bucks. I didn't see how far they dropped, but I know that Scalding Tarn had reached a peak of like 150 Canadian or something like oh, that. Geez, so. I, I thought that's what the, I'm saying pre this printing. I thought they were like $60. I'm, I've probably like $10,000 sitting in my house. I should go sell these things immediately. I didn't Absolutely. know they were worth that much. Week, I guess. Too, too late, man. Too late. Jeez, <laughs> oh, Why didn't anyone tell me? Come on, guys. I don't know where they settled. I don't know where they settled to, but yeah. So anyways, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm disappointed to see fetches in, in Modern Masters. Like, when I when I 
open modern masters or when I go to like, when I think about modern masters, I want a good draft format and uh, you get to put all these like kind of weird rares in, in that format as well that have like pretty sweet draft synergies and uh, like fetch lands are just never going to, you know, you have to pick it cause it's worth something, uh, but you don't really want to um, <laughs> because it's not going to do anything for your deck really. So I, I don't know. I, I think they could have just, they could have done them somewhere else, right? Like, whatever. If you don't want to print them in standard, then put them in, like, a commander deck or something like that. Um, this seems like a waste. <laughs> I'm excited about Molten Rain, though. The Molten Rain art looks pretty sweet. I'm, <laughs> glad we got that. I'm a mono-red player at heart, so but I'm glad that we got that card. <laughs> John, John uh, nothing? <laughs> well, I, I think that fetch lines in standard are a problem. Um, I remember the last time they put fetch lines in, there was, like, judges would give you warnings at the beginning of the tournament saying, hey, make sure you shuffle quickly because a lot of matches go to time. They want standard to be a very interactive format where the games can go long and shuffling eight or nine times per game, it's a real problem, I think. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion on whether they should be reprinted in Modern Masters versus some other product, um, but I think I, I do think they're a problem in standard. You guys play too slowly, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that before. <laughs> I, yeah, I've also heard that many times. <laughs> I really can't dispute that. I, I play probably too quickly. <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of Molten Rain, back back to Molten Rain, I wonder if the chat or you guys know, actually rather you guys don't say anything, if the chat can't figure it out, why they actually decide to give me Molten Rain out of all the cards. It's, uh, I wonder if the chat can, can guess the reason, but it's, there's a bit of, of delay, but uh, I'll have them. Uh, take am little... I supposed to know? I don't know why they gave it to you. Yeah, I have no clue either. <laughs> oh, am I the only one that knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for the chat for answers. Rob, do you, you have any idea? Well, I don't want to give it to the chat before they get it, but uh, it's the same reason why you got your EMA spoiler the way you did. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. Uh, okay. My EMA spoilers sinkhole and my website yeah. man of the pride. But what's funny is that a lot of people. Oh, were... nice. <laughs> yeah, John. What what I what I I just I just got it. <laughs> I'm like Blake. Why? And then now because of the show first strike, a lot of people have messaged me like, "Does your creature have you know? Does your spoiler have first strike?" I think we're too early in our show for us to get a spoiler specifically for this show, but maybe somewhere down the line, I'll just keep keep getting first strike creatures. Well, you had a fabled hero, right? That had first strike. Is that a double, double strike? Double strike. Double strike. Yeah. And that counts. I'll count it. Well, KYT just shot us down there. I don't know if you guys know. It was very subtle, but he was basically like, you know, this podcast isn't really big enough to have its own spoiler. <laughs> like, my website my website got a spoiler. I chose to reveal it here, so <laughs> I just want to be clear on that. <laughs> just wanted you guys to know. He doesn't want our egos to blow up. <laughs> I don't, like, it was a coincidence that we got two green-black spoilers, though, where we had, and they were basically the most playable and, and constructed-wise, the most playable and most powerful cards that uh, we have ever spoiled, and that was Rekshasa Death Dealer. We had the pleasure of spoiling that, and I love playing that in Abzan Aggro, and we also had the pleasure of spoiling Grimflare, which co-worker Rob Anderson thought was bulk mythic when it first came out, and now it's worth 
a zillion. Honestly, it's worth like a lot of money. It's hey, not. What is this card worth? Hold on, tell me what this card is worth. I don't. I really need to know this type of stuff. Do I have more piles of money sitting in my house that I don't know about? Multiman <laughs> was a couple bucks before this printing for sure. No, no. What's Grimflare worth? Oh, it's got to be over twenty, I would guess. I would guess. Oh, okay. Without having the type, um, it's it's... Fine. I thought I had like a fifty-dollar card in my hand. So what you were talking about? I got all excited. <laughs> Come on, chat. How much is Green Player worth? Three Canadian dollars, please. <laughs> it's just not not going to be in the bulk uh, in the bulk bin or anything. Um, so uh, no, that's going to be for most of our show. John, is there anything you want to talk about or discuss? Um, no, I, that's good. Okay, where can people find you? Uh, well. Um, I have articles coming out um, on MTG Canada. I'll probably write about the Affinity deck. Um, and I'll be at tournaments representing face-to-face at GPs and Mass Drop at PTs. Um, you can find me on Twitter, John Stern MTL. Slick. You're, gonna re- you're representing a lot of brands. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as for us, for, for updates, I know every time I talk... I can see Rob laughing already. Every time I talk about my Patreon that I want to set up because so much of the way, I can see Rob grinning already. Um, but uh, we're probably going to be launching it March 1st. And um, we're talking about sharing my PowerPoint presentations. Sharing your PowerPoint mm-hmm. presentation. Part of my Patreon, I'll send out my PowerPoint presentations to you before tournaments. You can yeah. either ignore them and suffer or use them. <laughs> And make it back to the pro tour and like Rob Lombardi did. Just crush, yeah. I mean, my uh, my whole magic career is now in Brian's hands. So whatever he's doing, I'm doing until it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> that hasn't worked out well for other people. I'm gonna let you know right now. So. <laughs> I mean, how did you trust Brian right away, Rob? I thought like I got you guys to meet on this show for the first time, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just um. Uh, like I mean, obviously, my I was trusting Sammy, right? Um, knowing that the the teamer deck was definitely going to be um, the hot business, but I was just uh, I'm more of an aggro player than a control player, and the the Dynafold deck is uh, requires a little bit more finesse on okay, so what do I need to kill with what and when? Uh, when can I not counter this in hopes that I'm going to draw something to remove it so that I have a disallow later, like that kind of stuff? Like when should I just be like turning the corner and gear hulking you out? So I, I don't really have a lot of experience uh, with that. I have a lot of experience with just jamming Ojitai and turning it sideways with the counter spell up. That's fine. Uh, but this is a little different. So, um, and I, I played Mardu at GP Pittsburgh. So when I saw the, the Mardu list and I saw how the mana base was changed, I was like, yeah, this is going to solve the problems that I was already trying to solve. And I, I didn't get there. And I was like, yeah, this looks like it, it gets there. So I played the one game. The mana seemed to be good. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. I was trying to get Addison in the main deck, and this Brian figured it out. <laughs> I'm on board. So yeah, it was just a better. I, I wish that he would have got uh, got his hands on that deck list uh, earlier and shipped it to me for GB Pittsburgh. I probably would have had a little bit better results than 11 for. I would, I would have been okay with that as well. I wish I had it at GP Pittsburgh too. Trust me. Um, <laughs> no, I often say that uh, I, I've had you know a medium, medium, smallish amount of Magic success in my life, and uh, I openly admit that in terms of technical play, I am occasionally lacking. But if there is one thing I tend to do well at, it's analyzing metagames and figuring out the correct deck to play. And I often see uh, my creations do far better in other people's hands than my own. Um, so. 
this was one of those occasions I was happy to see it though. I told I told Rob I was even happier that he won than I won because I'm kind of medium on the Pro Tour and wanting to get back right now. But I, I know he was really excited and uh, I'm super happy he made it back there. So it was cool. Absolutely. The grind to silver is alive again for 2017. <laughs> Hopefully I don't finish the, the, the season at uh, N minus one again. <laughs> so right. are, all the decks, are all the Mardu decks playing Avacyn? I only saw that in the winning list, I thought. Yeah, they're kind of split right now as, as to whether they want Avacyn or not. I, you know, I think the I – don't, I don't remember the split on the versions. I know that the version that had the, uh, like, Nahiris and Oats in the sideboard, I was much less impressed with. I don't know if that's the one that ultimately won the tournament or if it was the other version that won the tournament. Um, uh, the, the winning list had two Avacyns. I think that's the only one in Utrecht that had it. Okay. Yeah, it was like it was insane right. for me all day. I mean, Avison was absolutely game breaking in so many yeah. cases, and, and not just in cases where like obviously they rat their entire board. Like just having uh, a flash threat against Rug Tower was a big deal. Um, yeah, it, it was it was great, absolutely yeah, it was, great. It was actually the second place list. I mean, we had um, I didn't play it at the PT, but my team was half on green white tokens, and Ballista Avison was a central component of that. I think. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that was great. Hmm, yeah, that is funky. Brian, you're going to be banned from the show if all three of us show up at GP New Jersey and you leave for a snowboarding whatever because you screwed <laughs> up. Well, we're taking a picture of uh, with with us two. So that's that's, okay. that's got to be it. Uh, you're gonna have to uh, find but us. it may be a, a quick demand. I may be like round four and be like, yo, I'm leaving. Let's take this picture right now. <laughs> <laughs> Rob and I are like in a game. <laughs> um, um, so uh, just to wrap this up, uh, a few minutes just about the Patreon. I think a lot of other podcasts are just raising funds to sort of make it their, their full-time job. For, for me, really, it's just to cover a lot of the costs. And if there's anything extra, to, to add little things like pay someone to, to make us a stream overlay so that we can stream on Twitch and, and on Google Hangouts or get each of us a better webcam or a better mic. So that's where all the resources are going, despite me, like all of us, putting a lot of effort into um, this this cast and everything that will be part of the Patreon. So um, there's going to be, uh, right now, roughly, there's going to be like three different tiers. And we're going to have, we already have Rob and, and Dagger 4 produce some draft rankings for us. So there, there's going to be draft rankings. There's going to be um, some folders where either Dagger, or Rob, or any of uh, the other people at First Strike, like Doug, if they're drafting and taking screenshots of the decks that we do really well with along with our thoughts and dividing them by archetypes. And we'll have different sideboard guides for most of the, like all of the major decks in standard and modern that's going to be built up slowly uh, by people on the team. And um, that's going to be regularly updated weekly. You're also going to get full access to what I'm thinking about playing in major tournaments whether it be GPs, RPTQs, PPTQs, uh, stuff like that, GP, like, and Brian's going to open up his PowerPoint dungeon as well. So a lot of insider information. We're doing it like Jerry T style, basically giving you guys exactly what we think, exactly what we're planning to play at some major tournaments, not hiding anything and not writing for the sake of writing. So that's what's going to be behind this. And all of this is just, like, we didn't have to do this. A lot of these podcasts, they just, like, ask for donations to support the cast, and they give, like, little hidden episodes. But it was eating at me the whole time that, I want people to donate to get a lot more than just like an extra episode or something like that. I want them to get actual value. So you'll be getting like cyborg guys that will actually use ourselves at tournaments and 
Rob even mentioned he was going to put all the brews that he's thinking of when he's tinkering. So a lot of stuff that we're actually playing on MTGO leagues and stuff like that. So that's what we're, we're going to have put a lot of effort into this Patreon to make sure that people who pay or who donate to us to the cause is getting uh, their money's worth. And we're going to have on top of that, like a sort of secret Facebook group. So you can ask us uh, specifically questions and pick our brains, especially if it's a list created by one of us. So uh, don't think there's anything uh, to add to hype it more up, Rob, that you want to say? I, I drew a lot. I drew a lot. I mean, they're definitely all very sweet. Uh, and some of them are sometimes good, but okay. they're definitely sweet. So if you're looking for something sweet, uh, you'll definitely find it there. Um, and then anything that's uh, looks like it's breaking the mold and doesn't suck, you should have a pretty good refined list come out for me uh, pr- pretty shortly after I post it. So, oh, I do want to say anyone who's ever – I'm really thankful for anyone who's ever subscribed to my Patreon before just to help me pay for some of the hosting costs for the past – over the past year – uh, where the like, the hosting costs are roughly they they totaled up roughly two hundred dollars US for me, and a lot of you helped like pay a good portion of it over the last year. And during Christmas, if I haven't, if you've donated more than a hundred ever to me, I've given you a little Christmas present. If you didn't get that, make sure to get in touch with me. And to all of you who have donated before, I'm just going to ship you. You're going to get access to the secret Mardu ballista guide just for supporting the site the podcast network everything that i've ever done for so long i'm like extremely grateful and i'll be extremely grateful to whoever joins and supports the uh first strike pod from here on out so and that's it for me and uh we'll see you guys for for episode 16 thanks a lot john you're yeah, amazing thank you.